Our reading for today comes from Luke 21, 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right. All right. So I just want to echo a little bit of what Ashley said about our giving initiative uh, this year. Uh, we're praying that uh, that the whatever whatever resources are, are given in our giving initiative would be uh, in addition to regular giving. So uh, we are asking that people be sacrificial in their giving in, in that regard this year. Uh, we really are hoping that uh, we can uh, both set ourselves up for the future and um, our ministry partners are some friends of ours in Iowa City. They actually took a church that was a revitalization at about the same time that Ashley and I came in here. They're some of our closest friends in the world, and they're doing incredible work. They're doing incredible work, and we really want to partner with them and bless them. So um, uh, my encouragement to you today would just be to, uh, uh, to pray about that. Uh, we, this giving initiative is going through the end of October, so there is time uh, as well. But just to pray about what God would have you to do. Uh, as we uh, look to the future and partner with some friends. All right? All right. So, what makes someone truly generous? What makes somebody truly, truly generous? Uh, last year in the United States, for the first time, Americans, and this, is involved, this isn't just American individuals, it also involves corporations and nonprofits and those types of things, but for the first time, Americans donated over $400 billion to charitable causes. $400 billion, that's a B. Uh, have you guys heard of the Giving Pledge? The Giving Pledge? Oh, this room is quiet today. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett are two of the world's wealthiest people, uh, and they banded together a few years ago to make this thing called the Giving Pledge. Uh, and this is what it says on the website. Created by Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett, the Giving Pledge came to life following a series of conversations with philanthropists around the world about how they could collectively set a new standard for generosity among the ultra-wealthy. So basically what's happening here is that Buffett and Gates are going around trying to inspire the world's wealthiest people to make sure that they don't hoard their money but instead give it away. And so some of the world's wealthiest people, a bunch of people with bees behind their bank accounts, uh, are promising to give the vast majority of their wealth away. Now we know this is good, right? This is not a bad thing that these people want to give their money away, that rich people would be willing to be generous in that way. Uh, and that they, would, that they would have their hearts in some sense turned towards not keeping their resources, but giving them. But does true generosity simply mean giving a lot? Does it mean giving a lot? Or does it mean just giving more than someone else? Is, is that the way we... It, I think it is kind of the, the way we tend to think in America. People like Bono and Bill and Melinda are, I, I think we think in our heads, more generous than us. I mean, in, 20, in, 20, in 2005, I almost said 2005, which is not the way you say that. But in 2005, we did put them on the cover of Time magazine as people of the year for their philanthropic work, right? This, is, this tends to be what we believe. In America, bigger is usually better, and that applies to our generosity also, doesn't it? But Jesus throws a wrench in this idea a little bit, doesn't he? In our teaching text for today. He actually shifts our focus away from the big and the demonstrative 
as being the best example of generosity. And he actually literally, in the, in the, in the story we have, literally asks us to draw our attention to a poor widow. He points her out to his disciples and he says, hey, look over there. You see what that woman is doing? That is true generosity. Jesus is teaching his disciples that it is not actually the size or monetary significance of one's gift that determines its value at all. Rather, Jesus is outlining a new paradigm for giving in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, generosity is not measured by how much. Rather, in the kingdom of God, true generosity is about the condition of one's heart, about the condition of one's heart. Now, I think this story makes a bit more sense if we frame the setting for us a little this morning. At the temple in Jerusalem, there were several courts, and one of those courts was called the Court of Women. Surprise, surprise, this was the only court that women could be in. (laughs) But the Court of Women also, uh, within that, was also contained the temple treasury, where they kept all the money. So Jesus, in this story, is in this very temple court. He is in the Court of Women, having a very lively discussion with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And around him, people are coming into the temple to give. They're just walking into the temple. Around the court court of women, there were 13 what looked like trumpet-shaped copper things. They, They were wide at the top and narrow at the bottom, and then they kind of funneled into a Uh, a chest where people would give their donations. So people would walk into the temple courts and they would throw their money in. This is how they donated to the temple. So what Jesus is seeing in this story is all kinds of people coming up and giving their money, which would go towards the operation of the temple. And he sees this woman, this widow actually, and because he is Jesus, he, you know, knows some stuff about her. He knows her whole story, in fact. And and he and his, he and his disciples watch as she takes two small copper coins and puts them in the giving receptacle and then walks away. It is a surprisingly undramatic act. She is not trying to draw attention to herself. She's in a crowd of people. She's just one of many donating to the temple. But Jesus draws our attention her way, doesn't he? Now, we know that these two small coins uh, that she had, we, we know what they were, actually. We actually know how much money that was. There was. They were the smallest denomination coin that was made at the time, so you could say they were kind of like pennies. A denarius was considered a day's wage. You, if you read the New Testament, you'll hear this term, a denarius. So, if you worked a full day's wage, the least that you were allowed to make was one denarius. And these coins that the woman uh, was carrying, these two copper coins, were worth one one-hundredth of a denarius. Meaning, for the average person, what this woman put in the offering was the equivalent of one one uh, one-hundredth of, uh, sorry, was a, the equivalent of about ten minutes of labor. So ten minutes of a, an average day's labor is what she put in the offering. And Jesus says, hey guys, by the way, by the way, That was all that she had. That was all that she has. She just gave everything to God. And that little that she gave in the eyes of God is worth more than what everyone else put in. This is what Jesus says. Jesus is saying God treasures this gift that this woman donated. 
God looks at this woman and says, I loved that gift. It's the best gift I've gotten today. And if you're a parent, you know what this is like to receive a gift like this from your children. Usually, it's an art project of some kind, right? Nora got help making a letter N out of what is called twinkle clay, which she loves. It's clay that twinkles, I suppose, and you dry it. Uh, and she came up and she gave it to me the, the other day, and she said, N is the first letter in your name and in my name. And you could have scooped me up off the floor, right? I loved that gift. I loved it. Not because it was valuable. I don't know where it is. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but because of what it revealed about her heart towards me, right? You see, in the economy of the kingdom of God, it is not about the size or significance of the gift that matters. The mark of true generosity is that it comes out of a heart of love, a heart of love. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church about generosity, and he says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Sometimes that passage is just taken for just read verse 6, and people chop out this part, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, you may know that it has occasionally been used by religious leaders, religious people who are trying to manipulate other people into giving them money. Have any of you heard about the preacher in the South who's trying to raise money for a Learjet, right? He probably uses this for that reason. And they, and they use, they, what they say is so generously, so generously, and give a big gift that you will get it back in some monetary way usually. Basically, they want to deceive people into believing that they can kind of hack the system. That if you give your money to a certain church or pastor, that will make God more likely to bless you financially. This is commonly called the prosperity gospel, and it's a misunderstanding of the biblical teaching on giving. Now, cultiv because cultivating a heart of generosity will lead to blessing. It will but not because God is delving out gifts based on how much each individual is giving. Rather, because Scripture teaches us that the natural byproduct of, gen of a generous heart is freedom and joy and even blessing, but not blessing in the typical American sense. Not always. But if you really read this passage, you see that the context is not about the size of the gift at all, right? We can read so generously, but the context, when you read verse 7, is, is more specific than that. It's more tied in with the story that Jesus tells us about the widow. <coughs> it is, again, about the condition of one's heart, about the condition of one's heart. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The motivation that God is looking for is not reluctance or begrudging obedience. This is not the emotion that God wants. God is looking to work in and through those whose hearts are turned towards Him in love, and that out of that love springs a kind of joyous generosity. This is what God wants. Because remember, God does not need your money. Hey, this is a sermon on money, and I'm telling you, God doesn't need your money, right? God created everything, just for the record. 
right? Scripture sums it up by saying he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is an ancient way of saying that he owns all of the Amazon stock, right? He doesn't need your money. And the way you live, but the way you live in and around your resources is a great indicator of the condition of your heart towards him. This is true. A generous heart will naturally sow generously. A generous heart will naturally sow generously. And God loves those type of hearts. And he promises that he will work in and through those types of people. But this is not a give to get. It's not. It is a give because you have already been given to. And it is clear that this poor widow has cultivated a love for God that caused her to anonymously and without external compulsion to give all that she had to God. All of it. Knowing full well that the God who owned the cattle on a thousand hills was well able to provide for her basic material needs. And so she gave. And God was pleased. Now you may be asking, okay, Nick, I want to give generously. I want to be a generous person. I, I, I want that for my life. I don't want to be a tight-fisted person. I don't want to be Scrooge McDuck, right? Yeah, again, over your heads, whatever. I want to be free from unhealthy attachment to money, but I don't really feel it. I don't feel it. How do I do this? How do I get there? And the answer is that you need to start living generously. If you want to be a generous person, you need to start living generously. To cultivate a heart of generosity, you need to start living generously. And it's right about here that the needle begins to scratch, if you've been listening to what I said, right? What do you mean? You just said God does not want me to give begrudgingly, and you're telling me in order to be, give generously and joyously, I need to give begrudgingly for a little while? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, the, the, here's something true about the human heart. This is, this is true about the human heart. The human heart will naturally learn to do, will naturally learn to, to, to be conformed to the things you do routinely or repetitively. This is true. This is why it is so important that uh, people who are married love their spouse, practically love their spouse, even when they don't want to. Because that, that routine, regular practice of loving your spouse will, will teach your heart to love your spouse, right? We know this about love, but we don't think it applies to other areas of life. And it, but it does. It does. My, the, the human heart is a funny thing. It really is. Because in order for you to want to do something, you need to start doing it. This is, this is just a true thing about our brains, if you will. Our hearts follow after our actions. They just do. And this is why within the Jewish and Christian uh, faith, there is this regular and routine practice that we are given called tithing. Tithing. Some of you have obviously heard of tithing. Some of you may not have. Tithing is a practice we see modeled in the scriptures of giving 10% of one's income to God. The first example of the tithe in the scriptures is from Abraham. He runs into a priest of God, a guy named Melchizedek, which is a fun name. If you want to name your child that, go for it. 
Uh, and he gives him 10% of everything. Abraham gives him 10% of everything he has, which was not really money. It was livestock and such. But Abraham is not really giving this money to the priest, actually. He's giving it to the priest, but he's actually giving it to God. And Israel, Abraham's descendants, or his kids, pick up on this practice of tithing. And very often, this tithe was referred to in the Scriptures as the first fruits, if you read that. Because people would not just bring mon- uh, money because Israel was an agrarian society and money wasn't as common of a, of a thing. So farmers would bring the first 10% of their harvest of goats or cattle or what have you into the temple. This is what they would do. We can read about this in Leviticus. It says this, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitutions, meaning don't just give God all the junk, right? If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. Leviticus 27, 30 through 34. So this resource was given to the temple. It was given to the temple. It was given to the priesthood. So uh, some of it was used for offerings, right? Because they, sac- they sacrificed animals as offerings to God. And some of it was given for the basic functioning of the temple and of the priesthood. This is what the woman was, was giving in the story that Jesus is telling. She's giving to the temple. Now, for some of us, this idea of the tithe sounds normal. It sounds normal. If you've grown up in church, you're familiar with it probably, right? You've run across it somewhere. Maybe you've been tithing for a long time. But for others of us, this idea of attempting to give 10% of our income to God sounds nuts, actually. It sounds crazy. Believe me, I'm well aware of the strangeness of this proposition. It is. It's strange. My parents, uh, really soon after they got married, moved to Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, they had me, not my brothers, and they started going to church in Des Moines, Iowa. And, and a pastor in Des Moines did three Sundays on giving, similar to the three Sundays I'm doing now. I don't know what he talked about, but the first Sunday he talked about tithing. And my parents got in the car, and they were driving home, and my mom said they lived in, I don't remember where we lived at that point, but they lived somewhere in Des Moines. And on the way home, my mom said, we made fun of that pastor mercilessly. These crazy people, why would they do such a thing? right? And so they just could not understand how this made any sense at all. And so they, so on the way back to church the next Sunday, because it didn't stop them from coming to church, they went back the next week, and they hear the second sermon on giving, and they they get in the car, and they're driving, and and my mom begins to do the same thing, and my dad gets quiet, says, Bridget, I think we might need to do this. And then the next week, they're coming back to church, and my dad has a check in his hand, and my mom sees it, and she says, that's a dishwasher. They didn't have a dishwasher at the time. That's a dishwasher. And that's why they called me their little dishwasher. No, uh, <laughs> I did wash dishes after dinner, just for the record. I did do that. But, but the point of the story is that it doesn't feel normal, Right? It doesn't feel easy all the time even, but repetitive, the repetitive practice of giving uh, trains our hearts to be generous. It just does. It just does. 
Now, I know the tension that it causes for many of us, right? I know that tension. For many of us, just paying the bills is hard enough, and now there is this kind of other religious expectation that's put in on top of it, right? And we're going, how in the world am I supposed to both be a good person, uh, live rightly in the world, like manage my resources well, and do this thing? It's, it, it feels difficult. It's just another religious ex- expectation that I need to then fulfill, But I want to frame this idea of tithing within the context of the New Testament, actually, the way the New Testament talks about it, because I I think it helps us understand maybe a a little bit more of a fully orbed or or, a fully rounded picture of how we need to go about seeing our resource in the light of Jesus. Because in the New Testament, and this might sound strange given what I just said, there is no law about tithing. What? Did you know that? Jesus never commands his disciples to tithe, never once. Read the whole New Testament and come back and talk to me. If you want to disagree with me, you have to read the whole New Testament this week. (laughs) Now, as a good and observant Jew, Jesus definitely tithed, right? It was a personal practice of his, for sure. But he never commanded it. He never commanded it. And And this might sound great. Oh, I'm off the hook. If you feel like you're off the hook, I have bad news for you. (laughs) And this is because in the New Testament, the emphasis shifts, actually, from the first 10% of our resources belonging to God to believing. In the New Testament, the emphasis shifts. And in the New Testament, everything that people have belongs to God. We read it last week, right? None out of Acts chapter 2. The, these, these first followers of Jesus, they gathered together, and what does the Scripture say? It says, they did not believe anything they had was theirs, that it belonged to them. Rather, they sold their property and they gave to all who had need, right? This is what we read in Acts chapter 2. Because in the New Testament, it is not just the tithe that belongs to God. It is everything. It is everything. And so, what am I supposed to do with this 10% teaching? What, what am I supposed to do about with this idea of the tithe? Because in the, in the truth, I see this happen a lot too in our day. Uh, people give 10% of their money away. Maybe, maybe people who, you know, it's one of those things that if you grew up doing it, it's easy, right? Because you're used to it. It's a routine thing. And I've seen people who give 10% of their money away and, the, and now treat the 90% that they have remaining as though it is untouchable, Right? And they hoard that, and they keep that to themselves. Like, I've fulfilled my responsibility to God. Now the rest, that's all, that's all for me. That's all for Taco Bell or whatever. And if you're going to spend 90% of your income on Taco Bell, um, probably stop. Yeah, probably stop. Uh, if we see tithing as just a thing that we do to get off the hook for, for needing to, to still be a generous person, then we've missed the point entirely, is the point. The point is, give not so that you can get off the hook, not so that you can get something in return, but so that you can be formed as a generous person, right? Because I promise if you begin to practice giving, if you begin to practice generosity, it will transform your heart. It will, if you let it. And your grip on your bank account will grow looser and looser and looser, And your love for God will grow stronger and stronger. 
So here's an encouragement. Here's just a practical encouragement. If you're in the room and you don't think this type of giving is possible for you, if you say, how am I supposed to, so you, you, say, you say the tithe isn't commanded in scripture, but you just said tithing is good, and where's the, where's the baseline? Here's what, I, here's what I tell people. The, the tithe isn't a law. There is no, the, the law as we understand it is kind of not in existence in the, in, for Christians in the New Testament. It's valuable, but it's not a law. But what, what the tithe is, is a really good benchmark, I think. It's a, it's a really good benchmark. It's, it's something to either do or work towards if you can't do it, right? Or if you're not currently doing it. And the reason that it's a great, great benchmark is that if we cannot let loose of 10% of our resource, if we have that resource, if we can't let loose of it, that, do, that does tell us something about the condition of our hearts. Because we live in America, right? And, and 90% of what the average American makes is enough. It is enough. But the giving of that 10% is both a a practice that forms our hearts and an opportunity to see God move in and through our finances. It really is. And so here's my encouragement. Wherever you are on the spectrum, and there's no judgment here, but wherever wherever you are on the spectrum, take the next six or 12 or 14 months and take some steps forward. This is, we're getting really practical. If you've been giving, but not regularly, attempt to make that more regular right? If you've been giving regularly, but it has fallen short of the tithe, take some steps of faith towards that benchmark. Hand it over to God. And if at the end of that time, you don't feel as though God is more involved in your life, that there has been some miraculous provision that has allowed you to keep giving in this way, if at the end of this experiment, you don't feel in your own heart that you are a more generous and giving person, right? If at the end of this process, you're like, ah, I hate this every time I hate it, then stop. Just stop. Seriously. God doesn't want you to give begrudgingly. He doesn't. But I'm betting that the scriptures are true. Because I'm a pastor, I have to. And what, that, that what God really does love is hearts that are turned towards him, just like the poor widow. Where we aren't looking for credit or acknowledgement, but rather simply motivated out of a heart of uh, thankfulness to God, or willing to give and live a type of generous life that blesses those around us. You see, giving is not the key to living a beautiful life, where you can retire at 45 and play golf every day, right? Right? If that's why we're doing it, then that's not going to pan out, I assure you. It might pan out, but not because you're giving. Maybe you just really, maybe you just play a lot of slots and it worked out. I don't know. But it is the key to living free from the love of money. It is. That will zap your life of significance. We looked closely last week at the, the way in which idol set, money sets itself up as, as an ultimate idol in all of our lives. And the way we orient our lives around this idea will determine in, to a large extent whether we allow ourselves to be ruled by money or to use money for the building of God's kingdom. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. And the way in which we go about living this way determines how free we live and into what directions our hearts are formed.
You see, the truth of the matter is, like I said earlier, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. But he does need your heart. He doesn't need your heart. He does need hearts that are turned towards him. He does need people who care about his mission and purposes in the world. He does need a people formed in and around the person of Jesus who love what he loves and want what he wants. And giving, giving is a beautiful way, a beautiful way to form our hearts around the heart of God. It just is. It just is. And if that is an area, and it tends to be in America, where things are difficult for us, where things, can, where things are a little less than ideal, right? Then what God is asking of us is simply trust. Simply trust that in this process of handing over our dependence on our bank account, our dependence on our own, uh, on our own self-sufficiency, that in that process, He will lead, guide, and support us. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that, like I said earlier, there is blessing. There is blessing that's associated with giving. It, it might not be a Learjet, right? If it is for you, um, I would like to borrow it once a year. That's all. Just once a year. But there, but there will be, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there will be an immaterial blessing that you cannot deny. And God will be an ever-present reality in your life if you lend your, yourself over to him in this area. It's true. It's true. And I know, I know that this can be difficult, that this can be hard, and that we're all in different areas. We're all in different spots. We're all in different categories even, in our own heads and hearts, and in our bank accounts even. But the important thing, if we learn anything from this story this morning, the important thing is not, is not how much. It's where our hearts are located. And Jesus wants your heart turned towards him. He wants your hearts freed up. He wants our hearts freed up to serve and love and partner with him. This is what it is. This is what it's all about. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And we ask that you would help us to form our hearts in and around the kingdom of God. That we would not be slaves to money or resource. But rather, rather, that our hearts would be turned towards the person of Jesus that we would see our resource first and foremost, not just as an opportunity uh, for us, but as an opportunity for the kingdom of God. Would you help us to serve and love you? Would you help us to be cheerful givers? Would you help us to have heart, to cultivate hearts of generosity that long to, long to share, to long to give, to long to, that long to serve in this way, not just, not just so that we can not just so that somebody else can have the money, but rather so that we can be the type of people through whom, you, through whom you can work. Jesus, we love you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen and amen and amen. So, here's an action step this morning. Just 
maybe you did this last week, but my encouragement, if you didn't, uh, take, the, take the insert home that we put in your bulletin. Just pray about it. Think about it. The, it's not about how much. It's about what's in your heart. It's really true. And so everybody give two cents. No, uh, <laughs> that's not what I meant. Don't misunderstand. Uh, but just take it home and pray and see what God will do. I, I, I think it could be significant, not just for our church, but for uh, other, other people in need and for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, do you guys know what amen means? Yeah, it means verily, truly, so be it. It's like saying, all right, good. That's a more American way of putting it. So, amen. Amen. All right, good. Don't, don't ask me why we went there. Go today in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs>